What's going on, everybody? Welcome to We Make the Power by Talking. This is Takashi. If you guys got any questions, feel free to email us at we make the pod by talking at gmail.com. Or else, uh, our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Anchor. Shout out to DJ Juan for creating the intro music and the outro music for the pod. Shout out to Daniel for creating the artwork. And shout out to all the people that are protesting. Yeah. Sorry, the chickens are just like always loud at this time. Uh, yeah, they're going crazy in the background, huh? <laughs> yeah, we just had a new chicks that were born like a couple days ago. Mm. Uh, but usually the roosters are the ones that's really loud. That makes sense and lines up with my experience of it. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? Hmm... Well, there's some emotional charge. Got into a conversation with a friend of mine who's all about Blue Lives Matter. And uh, she posted up something about like policemen kneeling in solidarity with protesters. And then it's like, yeah, I've seen those pictures too. Yeah. Yeah. I've also been seeing that those are like, um, those are a stage. They're like PR events where they'll kneel once the cameras are there. And as soon as the press leaves, they start macing people in the face. And yeah, yeah. I heard that too. Yeah. So I commented that, but I actually didn't realize that she was like an all lives matter kind of person. So I think she was trying to stay neutral and out of it, but it was like, no, this is, this is a real thing. It's happening. It's not a, it's not a maybe like here are like 10 documented cases of this. Uh, except, yeah, I was charged, so I think I was a little bit more like more forceful than I think would have been necessary or easily received. Yeah, and this was like online, right? It's like, or were you guys having a conversation on the phone? Online, yeah. Where I all guess. where all conflicts happen? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I mean, you and I already know that like online arguments never really lead anywhere. It yeah. just get it just pisses people off even more, <laughs> if anything. <laughs> that's that's kind of interesting because, um, you know, when I look at social media, I don't see that as much. Like I rarely see it. Um, I think it just has to do with the circle of friends that um, I've been like that I have, or just maybe the, the people that post things are a bit more politically to the left. Mm-hmm. And um, I was talking to my cousin about that because, you know, he's living in Texas and his partner or his fiance also, you know, is from Texas. And when he, he's looking at his social media, like newsfeed, uh, it, you know, it's more about like challenging the police, uh, like the revolution is happening. But um, he was saying on her social media, all you see is like, oh, look at all these looters um, taking all this stuff uh, from, uh, you know, the stores. And more about like supporting the police. So it just kind of our world of social media depends on the friends we have, right? Yeah. Because of the logger, you know, the algorithm or whatnot. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important to acknowledge that both things are happening. Um, there are some documented cases of like rioters and protesters just like going into the ghettos and like smashing shit up and like, 
it's not where you protest, right? Like you don't, you don't ruin someone's home, like the very people that you're trying to protest for. Like you, you go and you demonstrate in a place where it makes a difference. Yeah. But yeah. There's, I think there's a lot of misguided shit happening as well. Yeah. And there's, there's a distinction between protesters and looters. Yeah. Cause you know, protesters are protesting for like a cause. Looters are, you know, just taking stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've been seeing people post stuff about how looting is a legitimate form of protests, which I mean, I can kind of see, but, but yeah, like where, where do we draw the line? Yeah. I've also seen uh, videos of police officers starting the looting, like start bashing like windows of uh, like stores and then yeah. start blaming it on the protesters. Or um, I've also seen videos of non-black people, mainly white dudes who's probably not part of the movement, start to like smash windows and start causing, um, starts to agitate the police. And, you know, that creates more chaos. And yeah. there, there's been even evidence like white nationalists are even trying to start like a civil war, you know, within the U.S. Um, for like blacks and you know, everybody else. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah, the picture seems to get murkier and murkier as we dive into this. And certainly like neither side is blameless. Like we're talking about like really raised emotions, a lot of emotional charge people deep, deep, deep into their fight or flight response. So shit's going to happen. But yeah, I, I, I think, <laughs> I think the question is, is it effective? Is it working? What's, what's being accomplished maybe? Yeah. I mean, people have been protesting for years peacefully and nothing has been working. Even Martin Luther King protested peacefully and he still got killed. Yeah. Peaceful protest doesn't seem to be the answer. Laws obviously aren't the answer because there are, there are laws in the way of murder and that's still happening. But then what are we, what are we gunning for? You know? Yeah. And even Martin Luther King towards the end of his life, he mentioned, you know, he started to advocate for violence and, you know, riot. Um, but I feel like a lot of textbooks and mainstream history kind of portray him as, uh, you know, peace loving, like let's integrate the black and white people, uh, type of dude. Once he started, um, like challenging, like the Vietnam war and advocating for like the poor people, then, you know, that part of, uh, history kind of got erased or it's not as known, you know? Yeah. That's interesting because, yeah, as I remember it, he was like kind of the poster child of nonviolent protest. He's thrown up there with Gandhi as well. I wonder if it's, I wonder how much of that is just like whitewashing history versus like people being unable to associate more than one idea with the same person. It's like we yeah. have like, like the guy who was the verse, the voice of Big Bird in Sesame Street is also someone who invented like, like a pacemaker, you know, like he's, he's known for many, many things, but he's still, still Big Bird for most people. Yeah. And I don't even think most people even know who, who that actual voice is or the person is, you know? 
Yeah, neither do I. I don't know what his name is. He's just Big Bird, you know? Like, <laughs> and just be known I, as Big Bird. Yeah, I think that's the sticky part about identity, right? Like, that's why people get typecast. That's why you have actors that play the same role over and over and over again. Like, I think fundamentally we have a hard time, like, holding more than one idea for the same person. Yeah. And... Even in a protest, because there was a protest going on a couple of weeks ago from like a lot of white people. Uh, they were, you know, I think you've seen those pictures of like Huntington Beach, um, people in uh, Detroit, Michigan. I actually haven't. What's, uh, oh, what's you haven't seen on? it? No, no. Uh, they were protesting for, because uh, they were being stuck in quarantine. So they want to get a haircut or go to Applebee's. Oh, Okay, got you. I thought it was like more recent. Yeah, you're talking about like upset white people that want like like to go out and buy things. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And you know, it's there was no like police pressure to arrest them, or there was hardly any um, pushback. You know, compared yeah. to like the protest that's going on now. And you know, these guys that were protesting and like. Michigan, they they were carrying guns and rifles right in front of like the city hall, and the police just stood there, you know. Yeah, as I recall, they were pretty threatening as well. Like their hands were on their guns. It wasn't like a peaceful thing, and it's it's interesting too as you bring that up. Like the contrast, like in immediacy, like we have a national pandemic, right, and then. Quarantine's not really enforced. Like, people are kind of just allowed to go out willy-nilly. But then it comes to peaceful protests that begin to get, like, escalate because there's, like, conflict with the police. But initially peaceful protests, and immediately there's, like, a crackdown, right? Yeah, exactly. There's a curfew deployed at, like, 1 p.m. In, in L.A. in some places. We also had, like, like, SWAT team being deployed as well, right? Yeah, National Guard's here in L.A. Yeah. I actually saw them today because um, I had to go to the school where I teach and just, like, clean up some stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, I got my camera. I'm just going to, like, see if I can join the protest. And I was there at City Hall today. And um, there were a lot of people protesting. And the cops and the National Guard were kind of on the top of the City Hall, and everybody else was kind of on the bottom. And more and more people started coming uh, as the time went on. And more cops started coming, too, as more people started to come. So they started to, like, barricade it, like, the parts of the road. And, mm. you know, the black organizers there, they wanted to have a peaceful protest for this one. And there were some people that were trying to agitate the police. And usually these are, like, white guys or non-black people. And, you know, some of the black organizers were like, hey, you know, chill out. Like, don't do that. Let's focus on our, our, our own protest and our own message, you know. And yeah. it was also beautiful to see a lot of the um, collaboration that was happening. So people were donating, like, food and bottle of water because, you know, it was really hot today. And they were making sure every protester had something to drink and something to eat. I think someone made, like, soy chorizo burrito. Probably like a vegan, you know, food for folks. I thought that was really cool. And there were also people like giving out masks, you know, because if someone needed a mask, um, you know, they'll provide it for them. And other people were like providing a uh, sunscreen, you know, for people if they needed it. 
So there was a lot of, uh, I guess, camaraderie and collaboration that was going on at the protest. And, you know, once the cars were honking, you know, they, everyone would cheer. Uh, a lot of everybody had like different signs. Uh, people of different races were there, too. It wasn't just black. They were white, Latino, uh, a few Asians, too. So. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about how communities are coming together to support while protesting, like childcare is being arranged for, as you mentioned, food is being arranged for. I've even seen posts um, requesting like mental health workers, people who do like mind work and healing uh, to offer up services for people who are protesting, people of color who are going through a really tough time right now. And something that I've volunteered for, but it is really cool seeing how people are stepping up. Yeah. There's even like lawyers and attorneys willing to volunteer to help any protesters that get arrested too. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. One thing I've noticed, and I don't know if you've seen this as well, is that there's like kind of like a lot of shaming going on too for people on the sidelines. Like, like either you're with us or against us, that kind of mentality. I'd be interested in what your thoughts are about that. Like, I personally feel that that's not really helping. That's not how you get someone into the cause by like, like pure pressuring. What do you mean by shaming? Hmm. I think the overall vibe of some of the posts that I'm seeing, and I'm not sure that it's everybody, but for some of them, it's like, hey, we're at war. You're either racist or anti-racist. And there's like a divisiveness there. Are you seeing stuff like that? Uh, you know, when I was there today, I didn't see any of that. I mean, there were people walking by, but they, you know, there was no like pressure to have them join us or those people like, you know, disagreeing with us or anything mm. i don't know I, I feel like social media is different from real life to a certain yeah. extent you know yeah that makes sense where i've been seeing that is social media i'm glad that it's not happening in person uh, yeah at least i haven't seen that i mean the only di the only like confrontation is probably with the police really but like ordinary people walking around unless if they're like carrying confederate flags or you know swastika signs or whatever um, no, usually I don't see that or I didn't see any of that today. What kind of confrontation did you see with the police? Like how are people interacting with them? I didn't really see much of a confrontation because, uh, like I said, a lot of the black organizers wanted to keep it peaceful and like get the attention away from the police. You know, we don't want to like focus on the police. We were, we were focusing on, uh, like the deaths of the black lives because they mentioned like Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. Um, like demanding justice um but i mean it's just the police were there i didn't see any like confrontation mm. i mean people were like flipping them off but it was at a distance you know mm. i got that yeah and some of the national guards were there too uh they had their uniform it's kind of a trip to see them like up close really mm. would you say more about that uh it's, it's like I've never, I don't usually, I don't remember the last time I've seen like a National Guard, you know, up close. I've seen it only in pictures. I think there's just something different about it when you're seeing something in real life compared to online. Mm. It's like, oh yeah. shit, you know, they can probably like kill us if we do something. 
That's true. I think as you're speaking, I'm I'm remembering something well similar but not similar. Like when I was in Brazil for the World Cup, they deployed uh, their police force. They deployed their their military, and there were people with like machine guns just standing around, making sure that you know, like there was no one trying to do anything crazy. But at the same time, like seeing pictures of people with guns is like you were saying very different experience there's a lot more fear it's a lot more visceral like there's a definite sense of danger from being around someone with that big of a gun yeah because that's like stuff you see in movies where you're protected right where you're safe but like to be somewhere like where you're exposed to that and you know that you could get hurt by it it's a different uh, experience hmm. yeah I'm grateful that it didn't go the way that I've been hearing the protests have been going. Like I heard in New York, like cops have been like driving into crowds of people. Oh yeah. I've seen those videos, man. It's crazy. What do you think causes that? Like, would there be any situation where that would be justified or explainable? I mean, I, I, I don't think it's justified. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's like they got an order from the higher ups or they're just so fed up with the protesters that they have to just run them over. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the only thing that I can think of that would explain that kind of behavior. They're feeling so antagonized that they want to do something drastic and they haven't been given any kind of emotional training. They're just doing it like yeah. just straight from the monkey brain. Yeah, pretty much. But I think that's kind of like, it sort of hints at like the danger of that overall system, right? Like it's that these are people that aren't emotionally resourced and they have access and means to act out on in that way. And also they're immune from ramifications in that situation. Yeah, they're pretty much protected in a way, no matter what they do. I mean, there's been like certain cases where they have been, you know, just there has been justice or they get arrested. But, you know, most of the times it's just get away with it. Yeah, I've heard it kind of depends on local laws. But from what I understand, a good chunk of cops, even when they're fired for gross misconduct, just get hired on by another department. There's nothing that stops them from continuing to serve in that role, even though I don't think serve is really the right word for that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. And it's kind of interesting, too, because if you look at how the police are perceived in other countries, it's completely different. Like, for example, in Japan, um, police don't carry guns. And yeah. if you like, if someone like dropped their wallet, uh, another person would take it to the police station. And then the person who, you know, who dropped the wallet will look for it there. So there's that trust. So they're actually serving like the, the community, the area. What do you think is the difference between these two groups of police? Like, obviously, they're designed to provide a similar service, at least on the surface, but the way they function is very different. Like, I've, I've also heard that in Japan, if you're super drunk, cops will just give you money to get a cab home, and it's culturally expected that you come back the next day and repay them. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Is that true in Taiwan, too? I've never been that drunk in Taiwan. I guess I've never done that in Japan, either, but... Oh, I'm talking about just the just the how the the police are being perceived by the public. 
I'm not sure. I, I don't think they're viewed with the same level of antagonism as they are here. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I don't I don't have evidence of them going and like beating down on people for no reason and trying to arrest people of color. I, I've never seen videos of that. But I think it's also a very different dynamic, right? We don't we don't see as much diversity in Taiwan. We don't see as much diversity in Japan. But would it be different if there were that many different ethnic groups there? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, historically in the U.S. Um, police has been started because of slave patrols, so they were to use uh, use them to keep black people in their place, and that's kind of like still an ongoing thing, even though slavery is abolished. Mm. So I so think it has to do with like the historical uh, aspect of it, and then like even after slavery, you know, there was the reconstruction and then the Jim Crow laws, which obviously was, you know really bad for black folks. And well, th this is interesting. I've, I've never heard this before. So if I can recap what you're saying, what I'm hearing is that originally the police force was founded to, to deal with black people, like, like enforce slavery. Yeah. Like if, if they were, you know, if the slaves escaped, um, they would capture them like the slave patrols. Hmm. And obviously, like, even after slavery was over, black people were still facing discrimination and racism. And, you know, there were laws where, like, for example, if a black man just even looks at a white woman, like, he could get lynched. And that would have been, like, uh, like publicly okay, you know. And people would, a lot of people would come together and just watch, like, public lynching. And this also happened not just to black people, but also to the Chinese, too. So, you know, if we were like there during that time, like, you know, we would be facing those kind of things. Yeah. I think it's, it's easy too to put that like wall up between like, oh, that used to happen. That was a thing. Uh, but like, I think, I think we're, we've been seeing that in states like recently too. Like you get very similar sort of stuff. Like people have been lynched. It's not that far removed. It, it's even not. though, yeah. Which is kind of the scariest part. Like, not, it doesn't appear that that much has changed in certain parts of the country. Yeah. Like, I would say, like, the South, I guess. I, I, I don't remember. I haven't been there in a long time. But it's like, you know, the segregation was, uh, or integration was just, like, added recently. Like, I think they just had their, like, integrated prom, um, like, in the early 2000s for some schools in the South. I don't exactly remember what state. So, hmm. you know, they're, yeah, it's in a way it's kind of behind their times, but at the same time, even in more like liberal cities like New York or LA, there's still a lot of cops doing really horrible things to, you know, black people and people of color. What do you think needs to change? So I think what I'm hearing right now is that like, Hey, the police force was built on the institution of enforcing slavery and sounds like oppressing black people. Um, and if that's indeed true, then it seems like it's a structural thing. But what can be done? I don't know. I mean, some people are arguing to defund the police, you know, and create other uh, forms of, uh, I guess, institution instead of police. Like, for example, I know uh, the school I used to work at, um, we didn't allow any police officers to uh, come to our campus just because of our students really had bad experiences with the police. 
because we had a lot of students that were formerly incarcerated uh, or, you know, who were or are currently part of gang members. And yeah, we just didn't allow it. What we had was uh, someone called the Peace Builder. And a Peace Builder is someone um, who, you know, builds peace, um, tries to like do conflict resolutions with the people. And they usually came from uh, people in the community. So it's someone that's like, that was uh, being respected from the community. And that kind of played the role of, uh, I guess, handling conflict if something bad happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be like a ideal uh, situation. But obviously like there's issues with like, how are we gonna pay them? How does that work for training? Um, how do we create a structure for that? You know, it's ongoing process. Yeah. Because we're so used to like, okay, if something bad happens, call the police, call the 911. Yeah, I think, I think that they, that for, to some extent, police serve some function, right? They do some of the stuff that they are supposed to do in modern culture. And, and I would agree with you that there's also a good degree of bloat where we have entire like squadrons of people dedicated to just like handing out tickets to people for no reason yeah um, which you know that's a colossal waste of time um but at the same time i think that if we were to defund them yeah that would be a kind of chaotic transition because i think to like who would be able to handle or deal with armed conflict i don't know I think that requires really specialized training. Would be able to deal with domestic conflicts. That that I think is more manageable. But is there a dividing line for you in your head in terms of what's feasible or what that hmm, peacekeeper role could look like? I don't know. I think it's just hard <laughs> under the capitalist system. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because it's not just really about defunding the police. It's also about demilitarization too like trying to, you know, limit the use of weapons and guns. Yeah. Um, there's also like the culture of violence, you know, how do we get people to respect each other? Cause it's not just like the peace builders role to provide peace, you know, just like how it's, it's not the police's responsibility to, you know, provide safety. Cause the people also have to do it themselves too. Hmm. I would, I would agree with the demilitarization. I, been hearing that a lot of military surplus gets purchased by police departments. So they end up with gear that's supposed to facilitate warfare, which is never a good thing, at least uh, not, not without proper training. Um, and we spent a lot of money on that too, like more than schools, you know, education. Yeah. One like, of the uh, things that came up that I think is actually relevant is how like the people who are normally trained to use that gear are trained to follow orders. They aren't going out and making life and death decisions based off of how they feel. Um, whereas with police, they're designed to function independently. Um, you are sort of your own overseer moment to moment. You go back, you report to your department, but when you're out in the field, you're operating as an independent unit. It's just you. 
Um, and I think that's that's been described as like kind of the primary breakdown there. They, officers aren't trained to operate in a way with deadly force the same way that soldiers are. Yeah, and I think there's been a statistics that even police, like the New York PD uh, Police Department, like even if they carry the guns and they shoot it, their accuracy is like very low. Um, I forget what the percentage was, but it was pretty low. And I don't know if you remember, like, a couple years ago, they were saying, like, oh, to stop school shooting, teachers should be carrying guns. If the police have a very low accuracy, how are you going to expect teachers to use it, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if you... Oh, sorry, go ahead. uh, After you, man. Oh, no, I was just saying, like, I don't know if you've seen the pictures side by side of, like, the police gears and what the nurses have to wear during the COVID. Like, some of the nurses are using trash bags because there's no money for them. But yet, like, these police force are getting a lot of uh, gears and weapons. And I think someone was calculating that, like, one of those uh, police uniform or those gears could provide, like, so many um, gears for the nurses. Yeah. I I think that's a tempting comparison to make, and I want to buy into it. And at the same time, I, th- I wonder, too, at the availability of the gear. Like, with, with medical, medical staff, there's, there's, we're running out of stuff, right, to protect people from COVID. Yeah. And I think that's a systematic failure, yes. And I also think that just speaks to the lack of preparation of the medical system. Um, I've, I've heard that different hospitals made the executive decision to not stock up on those things, which is why they're running low now. Yeah. Like obviously they're they weren't expecting to, they weren't informed that this this was gonna happen. No one was. So it's it's not like a blame conversation. But at the same time, I can see that the difference in equipment can be accounted for by more than just like, hey, these are our priorities. But certainly that's part of it. Like, but if I look at it, like we've just been stockpiling like military grade equipment for officers over time. And that doesn't, that's not disposable as much as medical gear. Unfortunately, that's still the reality, right? We have cops that are like super hyper equipped for war. And then we have medical staff that are literally dying because they don't have the right protective gear. And that's unfortunate. I wish it were different, but I also don't think it's as, as black and white as it might seem just from the picture. Yeah, but that also shows you the priority of, you know, the federal government or the state, like what they prioritize. Yeah, certainly the federal government hasn't been helping. I've been hearing reports that Trump had, like, the National Guard showing up at hospitals, commandeering supplies, and then those supplies disappeared. Mm. These are hospitals that are treating COVID staff. Like, why would you, or COVID patients? There's no reason to be confiscating supplies. They said they were redistributing them, but, you know, like, they were never accounted for. They just kind of vanished. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you feel like your role as a life coach is like for, you know, during this situation? Hmm. I think it boils down to what I can take on with integrity at this point. And in protesting, I expose myself to a pandemic and I live with people who are at risk for that pandemic, then I can't justify that risk. But what I can do is offer what I do best to people, which is that 
if they're going through trauma, grief, if they're having trouble sleeping, they're unsettled, then I'm out there having conversations with people. I'm also having conversations with people across the aisle, like people who are against the protest, people who are trying to figure out their place. Because I think that the change can start in minds as well as like through taking action. And I guess when I look at the protest, what's there is creating enough of a disruption that we get like political attention, which ideally would cause some kind of reform. The other approach that I see being necessary is also addressing the underlying racism. Just because there are laws and structures in place that are trying to prevent them, it doesn't necessarily mean that the racism goes away. And for that to happen, I think broader conversations need to be had and on an individual level. Like I can't address all white people and then counsel them through their racism. But what I can do is start start approaching and understanding and getting people and then beginning to shift their beliefs from there if they're open to it. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Thanks. I'm torn a lot because what I would like to be able to do is go out and protest. And the animal part of my brain is like, go and, and murder some, some bobo. And that's not functional. You know, that doesn't help the situation. I recognize that those are just thoughts, but... But there is also just the background of wanting to do more, of wanting people to suffer the same way that they've made other people suffer. And if I look and I think that, hey, there might be more people that are taking it on the same way that my brain is, then those are the people that I want to be able to help. I think there's a place for rage. There's a place for outrage. Then there's also like what you do when you can't get out of that state and it starts messing with your sleep ability to think and function yeah i was gonna say um i guess for folks who do want to support um just by being there today i noticed a couple things that i observed like just provide providing like the protesters with water like water bottle you know like some people will get like a, a pack of water bottle from like a grocery store or costco or whatever and they just dropped it off you know i thought that was pretty cool or providing like masks for the people um yeah i feel like that that's also another way to support too if you can't like be there at the protests or you don't feel comfortable you know yeah i like that you're bringing that up um and i feel that it is there like a central resource where people can get information about how to provide support without having to be out directly to protest but i know that there are just some people that are like highly at risk yeah it's like a one in a thousand chance that they're going to get something but if they get it, then, like, they're going to die. Yeah, yeah, because that, 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 that is a good point. Um, usually, like, the Black Lives Matter organizations in the local area has some kind of information about that, like a contact info. Um, I, I don't know, like, how they get in contact with the folks. Uh, I've seen just people uh, just drop off stuff, like, in the protest. Maybe, like, they're driving by and they saw it. Like if people know where the protest is happening and then, you know, they could drop off the, the supplies there. Yeah. You look it up like Black Lives Matter and just type in the city you live in. That can give you like pretty good information. Yeah. And, and for me, like this is probably like one of the few times where I have seen um, people who don't engage in these kind of conversation or dialogue start to talk about it, you know. 
I mean, whether they agree or disagree with it, I, I, I just, that's what I started to notice. Like people who don't really engage in politics or who talk about like police violence or who talk about Black Lives Matter are now like, you know, starting to talk about it more. Yeah, that's a fair point. I wonder how much of that is a function of us being at the age that we're at and being able to hold those dialogues. But I mean, if that is indeed like the side effect or the end results of these protests, then that's that's a good start. Yeah, and it's an ongoing thing, you know. I even I have a feeling this is just going to keep going, but in a different way. Whether like you know people will be massively protesting, or if it's going to look something different if policies do change. And it's also an international movement too. It's not just within the U.S. Like New Zealand, Iran, uh, UK, Germany, like Japan. They they've also had like protests in solidarity with you know, the black folks in the U.S. Yeah, I've been seeing that as well. I never I never imagined that there would be that kind of international reaction. In my head, I always kind of assumed that the rest of the world was kind of like done with the U.S. And yeah. it's, it's cool that there is some support available. Like, they don't have a... Yeah, like they don't owe us anything. There's no horse in this race. And the fact that they're showing up anyway and protesting is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's like a multiracial movement too. I've seen a lot of photos. Of, it's just it's just everybody, you know, black, white, Latino, Asian, you know, Native American. So, What do you think needs to change? Like what... What changed to the structure of our society? What changed to the institution of the police would make the biggest difference in your mind? Um, well, I feel like I already kind of mentioned it, uh, like the defunding. Yeah. Like f- finding like an alternative to policing or 911. But obviously, like, that's easier said than done. And it's going to take a lot of time. Um, yeah. Like dismantling, like... You know, the racist structure. Uh, I mean, I would even go far as to say dismantling capitalism. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's like, like I said, it's easier said than done. Like, I, 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 w- I don't think I would be able to tell you like what that process will look like. Yeah. Because even, yeah, because even if there is like a revolution, oh, sorry, even if there is like a revolution and you know everything gets taken down, like what's next, right? Yeah. Because we're so, yeah. Because we're so used to having the police. We're so used to, you know, capitalism. We're so used to working, you know, like eight to five jobs, or like there's a lot of things that we're so used to doing. That's like a habit or routine. If we suddenly shift it, you know, what would that look like, and how is that going to affect, you know, the psyche of the people? Yeah, I'm thinking through the ramifications and just realizing that there's no way that I can could even conceptualize that yeah. to such a radical change that there's, I don't know that there's any anticipating what would happen. I mean, there's been countries that or like places uh, like the Zapatistas in uh, Chiapas have done that, but it's like a, they didn't do it like in a day or months. They took them years. Yeah. 
the other thing that comes to mind is like, well, we're also talking about like a smaller region, right? And with the United States, it's such a broad expanse that you might end up with regions that are still wanting to stay in the United States. And you might have some that are willing, that want to establish a new zone of control, a new system. Yeah. I imagine it would be much, much more complex for the same reason why the United States has a harder time modernizing. Like, it's really easy for Korea and Japan and Taiwan to, like, have the fastest internet, right? Because it's a smaller, more mobile country. But when you have something as large and hulking as the United States, uh, I think we run into some more challenges there. Yeah. And while I'm not certain that, like, revolution is is a viable response or if it's something that i believe in because i just haven't thought about that i can see that being an option like certainly if you took apart the entire system then you would be uprooting everything the system was built on which appears to be systematic racism yeah and obviously the answer is not gonna um come up in our lifetimes hmm. you got that so I guess then I'm curious about what you see as your way forward in all of this. What role will you be playing? I mean, I'm an educator, so I'll probably continue to teach and like provide counseling services. Um, I mean, I'll continue to support the cause in different ways, whether it's like showing up to the protest or, you know, providing like the supplies that the people need. Uh, just kind of having like dialogue like this with people, like with you, uh, with with my friends, yeah, and just help, kind of like what you said as a what you what you have been doing for a life coach, like just having people like understand their process, um, you know, process their thinking, what they're feeling, and figuring out ways to kind of live through it. Yeah, I, I don't really have like a clear answer. Yeah, I think more and more that's kind of where I'm arriving with it too. It's kind of just going to be puzzling through it moment to moment and seeing what authentically fits and what doesn't and participating or not participating according to that. Cool. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover off on on this podcast that we didn't have a chance to discuss? Uh, I mean, there's a lot more, but I think this was pretty good. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> I forgot to do that in the beginning, but it's all good. <laughs> Our podcast is like very like casual anyway. Yeah, right on, dude. Um, yeah, my name is Rob Wong. I am a dating and lifestyle coach. I specialize in authenticity, uh, vulnerability, and how that relates to intimate connection. Um, most of the time I work with people that are dealing with repeating patterns of behavior and my job is to ask questions until they can break free of those patterns. Um, yeah, that's basically what I'm up to. If you're interested in more, you can find me on Facebook or it's a good website. You can look into what I'm, uh, what I'm up to at thisisapex.co. I'll put that in the show notes. Well, I didn't know that was your website. Yeah, just updated. Gonna be branching out a little bit more from just dating and uh, yeah, yeah, more into just like emotional awareness because I think I think the world could always do with a little bit more empathy and the ability to understand. Yeah, 
Yeah, feel free to send me the link and I'll put it on the show notes. That sounds good, dude. Appreciate you hosting the space. Uh, this was this was a good conversation. Yeah, uh, if you want to do it again in the future, let me know because like, yeah, this is this is pretty good. Yeah, that sounds good, man. Um, <laughs> hit me up anytime. All right, man. All right, brother. I, I seem to have gotten a response from my All Lives Matter friends. So. Oh my god! <laughs> good luck with that, this, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. I'll catch you around. Peace All right, out. man. Take care, Rob. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Bye.